0: All right, welcome to the Writing Block. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> I <guess> my dog <laughs> <take> two. <laughs> <laughs> Let me collect myself
1: quickly. Uh, <laughs> and, welcome to the Writing Block podcast where we talk and occasionally flub through all things writing and indie publishing. On today's episode, Writing Block's own Jackie Castle and Christopher Lee continue the discussion on world-building. This time, authors Joshua Robertson and Max Held weigh in on the discussion, and share some of the secrets of their writing processes. And Christopher's cat insists on making an appearance, as cats are wont to do. For more information, visit writingblock.com. Thank you for listening and for all of your support.
0: Welcome to the Writing Block podcast. Today we're talking about world building and our writing process. I'm joined by authors Max Held, Joshua Robertson, and Jackie Castle. Uh, We're going to be chopping it up today, talking about how we do world building, uh, what our processes are, what our resources are, and just in general, talking about whatever comes up. So buckle up, everybody. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to our first uh, author here, Max Held. Uh, Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, writing, uh, maybe a book or so, uh, anything that you want to bring up, man?
2: Sure. So I got into writing about 10 or 11 years ago when I started running Dungeons and Dragons for my friends. And I've been doing that every weekend with almost without fail with the same group for that long. And about two years ago, I started writing fantasy stories and I went, oh, I've been doing this for years now. Why don't I actually try writing a book? So my first book is a uh, whisper of the end. It's part of a planned series of seven, which is about as much planning as I usually get done when it comes to writing. It's a fantasy story. I, was really drawn in when I was young, and I still am by the Dragonlance series. That was that was the first major fantasy book I read along with Redwall, and I wanted to bring those themes of characters and the bonds between people into my writing as well.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right, uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
2: Sure, Chris. Thanks
3: for having me on. My name is Joshua Robertson. I am an international award-winning author. Um, have about 25 to 30 publications out there, most known for the Thrice Nine Legends saga. Um, it's a dark, epic fantasy that's based primarily on Slavic mythology. Um, and it's a story that I started writing when I was really young, kind of uh, fiddled with it for 10 years where I rewrote and threw away manuscripts. I don't even know how many, seven or eight manuscripts during that time before I finally found my voice. Uh, but world building was always a really big for me. It's something that I spent a lot of time doing and planning over the years. Uh, my inspirations were really Tolkien, who I know a lot of people talk about him all the time. I'm also one of those Tolkien guys, um, as well as Robert Jordan. Uh, they are two guys that I was always just fascinated by their world building and the skill sets that they use to employ and, and bring these fantastical worlds to life. So mm-hmm. I, I imagine that a lot of my own stuff mirrors some of what they have done in their stories. Uh, But that's me in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) I'm with you there. Those are some pretty heavy hitter influences for me as well.
3: And I guess I should also mention I'm also the uh, host of Writer Imperfect, which is a podcast over on Twitch.
0: Um, It it is an awesome one, too, and one that I've had the pleasure of being on a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, Jackie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as if they don't already know you.
4: All right. I'm just going to do a really quick introduction, because I'm also (laughs) part of the Writing Block team, so no one wants to hear me introduce myself on every episode. Uh, So I'm Jackie Castle, and I, along with Chris and four others, uh, run Writing Block, and my first novel, The Seclusion, was just published in September. Uh, But I've been a writer for about 12 years, a little bit of journalism um, and freelance writing and yeah, so I'd love to hear what you fine authors have to say about world building. I'm going to hand the microphone back. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: thanks for that, Jackie. Uh, uh, like we talked about earlier, uh, my name's Christopher uh, Christopher Lee. Uh, I write some stuff sometimes. Don't ever go look at uh, my first book, please, 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 please. I'll rewrite it and I'll make it better. I promise. Uh, let's uh, jump right into it, guys. Um, I'll start with you, Josh. Uh, how do you define world building? Uh, what does it look like in your writing practice?
3: Uh, well when I think of world building it's it's like the landscape for my book like it's almost like my sandbox that I play in. Um, sometimes I like to invite other people to play into it. My brother writes with me sometimes too sometimes he invites me to his sandbox to play and write in his worlds um, but but it's the it, it's really the big piece for me that goes into storytelling. I don't think you can write a story without having a world uh, just because mm. the world encompasses your religion and your culture and your belief systems and your sentient races and your magic systems and politics and all these things that without a doubt impact your character and defines who they are. And so I can't define a character until I have a world built in order to place them in. Um, So I think there's many ways of going about world building. um, But if I were to just give it a really quick definition, it's it's the sandbox for my story. It's the main landscape and platform for my story.
0: Awesome. That's, that's an incredibly precise and, and wonderful definition. Um, and, and I think, you know, I can, I can state just, you know, right there that a lot of that resonates with me as well. And we, and we just, uh, <clears throat> we had a previous, uh, uh, podcast here talking about, uh, world building, uh, just a few minutes ago. And, uh, mm-hmm. for me, I, I, I don't think that you, you, you can, uh, build a story without it, at least the stories that I want to tell. Um, and we, we went in, um, into it uh, at some length and i think that you you really brought something out there uh in that definition so thank you yeah.
4: um
0: max how about yourself uh how do you define world building and or, or what does it look like in your writing practice
2: for me i think there are two kinds of world building i think there's your actual world like what josh was describing where it's your culture your religion your topography and all of that but i like to focus my stories on my characters. They're what's more interesting to me rather than the world they're a part of. And so I take the relationship between my characters as the world building. And I think Mm. by exploring the relationship between your characters, you also build out the world that they interact with and it is something I struggle with, with doing the actual complete and total world build. I prefer to write out my characters and how they interact defines everything else. Yeah, for me, it really is, it's more character driven than anything else. And that's something I'm dealing with as I continue to write an ongoing series is, all right, well, I set up these expectations and I describe these things. Now, how do I explore them with someone else? And I actually became part of my writing where I was originally planning on writing three books for my initial series. And now it's seven. And part of that is after I finished the first one, I went, oh, no, I have people asking questions that I wish I had answered, but I published the first book mm-hmm. and I don't want I they wouldn't fit in to a second full length novel. So my plan has become now I write in between the full 90 to 110,000 word fantasy novels. There are short story collections in the same world following different characters that let me answer the questions people have or things that I need to flesh out without having. And they they follow there so that you would read, you know, full length book, short story book, full length book, short story book. And it lets me answer those questions without having to have come up with it all on the spot. Hmm. Keeping keeping in with my improvised writing nature. (laughs) That's really interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, A a very interesting way of going about it. And um, we spoke about that briefly in, in our previous podcast as well, about how. Um, the characters in themselves uh, often give you the opportunity to build out the world because that's how the the reader is, is viewing your story in the first place is through their eyes. So um, you can in effect uh, through, through building out your characters uh, um, really well or, or intricately uh, build the world kind of like from the inside out instead of outside in uh, as some of us approach it. I, I tend to take the approach of, uh, that josh does you know you build the sandbox and then you throw the characters in there um uh jackie do you have anything to add to
4: no that? i'm honestly really curious max how does that work for you like as you're if you have a, a question that arises during your um novel that you want to put into your short story just kind of compile all of those or what does that look like for you
2: yeah so for so the first book was whisper okay. at the end wrote that went to my beta readers i asked people who i who I connected through in writing groups who had read it went like, look, what, what doesn't make sense to you? And from my perspective, what what, did, what do I think I failed to okay. explain? And then I would write down a one sentence description, like why did X happen and why wasn't it explained? And okay, now I'm going to dedicate you know, 10,000 words to explaining that in a short story. And so I think that's, that's very useful for me. And it also lets me write more characters. I found that after I finished the first novel, I didn't want to write another full length one because like I, I wrote these characters now for 96,000 words, I'm actually a little bit bored of them. I want to write a different perspective. And so that also helps keep me sharp and on path with writing and oh, I can just jump to someone else in the same universe and it still contributes to my overall writing, but it's a totally different story or it's a totally mm. different viewpoint. And it also helps to contrast my characters. Is one of the points I was trying to make in my first book was, oh, you have, so I, I draw my characters from people I know. And so one of my friends who I play D&D with always plays a wizard and they're always very much so, I control the universe. Why do I care what mm-hmm. you think, guy who waves sword? And so that turned into, these are my wizards, you know, my mages. They control the universe. What do I care? Peasant, I do what I want. I burn a town down if I want because I can. But my main character in the, the prime, prime storyline is a healer. He's he's not powerful. He's meant to contrast against that, oh, they're not all of these fireball-wielding monsters, but they don't run into someone like that until the very, very, very end of the first book. And so I was like, I had to demonstrate that he really is unique. They're not all just kind. And so that was where a short story spawned out of that was, oh, this is what they're really like.
4: That's hmm. really cool. Very fascinating. So are all of your novels then from a different point of view? Is that what I gathered from that?
2: So the four full length full-length ones jump between two points of view, which are two characters that are more or less always together they're supposed to be a team and that's a major theme that I wanted to explore was you know not only how far would you put how what 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 of your own lines would you cross would you cross a loved one's line if it meant that they Mm -hmm. survived would you do something so so reprehensible that they would despise you for the rest of their life but it meant they didn't die because you cared that much or you saved them from something
4: fascinating (laughs) thanks for sharing (laughs)
0: Indeed. Indeed. Um, you know, obviously here we can, we can skip silly questions like is world building a core tool in your writer's toolbox? Cause I think at this point, everybody, uh, uh at least in this, in this episode, uh, has that part of their, uh, as part of their main writing toolbox. Um, but, uh, what about resources? Um, Josh, do you have any resources that you use regularly, uh, when you're world building lists of questions, questionnaires, software programs, or, or best practices and methods that you, that you've really honed over the years.
3: Um, There's a couple that I use. The the primary tool that I use is called Aeon Timeline, A-E-O-N. I think it's like $50 for a lifetime access to the product, uh, the product. Um, And it allows you to essentially map out your entire world on a timeline with, you know, dynasties, characters, books, um, major events, whatever it is that you want to have on there, you can put on that timeline and just stretch it all the way out. Um, I also just keep information listed in a Word document that I update regularly when needed. Uh, but a lot of my books I've written in the same world for you know 15 years. <laughs> and so um, a lot of that information is just known to me because I've been playing in the same sandbox for so long. And the novels themselves have now become, in some ways, an archive of the information in that world, too. Um, I've currently been working on... Uh, an almanac, a, a codex of my world and everything in Thrice Nine Legends for readers who really like to dig into the specific aspects of the world and, and kind of have all the information detailed. Because when I write, I don't I don't info dump. I don't drop information about the world. I know far more about my world than my readers will ever know until I publish this book. Uh, because <laughs> I, I, I only put in the book what's important to the character and the story. Um, mm-hmm. e- even though I have 3,000 years worth of history for me in the world. So I know where things come from and and when the wars were and what the outcomes were and what the motivations were of characters and et cetera, et cetera. None of that's really open or privy to the readers because it's not important to every story that I write. Um, And that's one of the things that I oftentimes coach other writers to do is when they're writing, make sure you're only incorporating information that's directly related to your plot, to your story, to your character. It has to be within their their knowing if you're writing from their POV. Um, and not just to go into these big log explanations of why this king is in charge and who his ancestors were and why this kingdom came into power, unless it's relevant to what's going on in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- there's a lot of tools I think that I use, but I think what's important for writers who are wanting to dive into their story is make sure they're just keeping everything within focus and mm-hmm. make sure that it's relatable. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks who don't like to plan out and write in the way that I do. I think that's totally cool. Um, but I think the thing that's good for new writers to do when they're writing is start local
0: mm, with their yes. character.
3: If you're starting on a farm, then start in the vicinity of that farm. If you're starting in a town, then start just in that city and in that town and know what that is like for that character. And just keep it between in their eyes. Only share what they know and what they see and what they experience. And then you grow as the character travels along and you build as the character travels along.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that I I did to some extent when I was writing my first um, I would, I would write these, you know, I would sit down and I'd be writing the scene and have an idea of what the scene was. And then, then I'd find myself just totally info dumping, explaining the history and whatnot. And so I would just mm-hmm. r- remove that piece from it and, and put it over in another document. And then I'd have this like kind of, uh, you know, cutting floor, cutting room floor is what I usually called it. It's like, <laughs> this is all the stuff that didn't make it in that, that still mm-hmm. might be relevant for me to reference at another time. And that over time became, like the bible of of that particular world i'd be like oh well that was that really cool idea that i had that that wasn't really necessarily relevant to the story um and, and you know i can go back to it if i need it uh, but it you know it informs you know my practice as the writer in 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 building the world out in a in a colorful you know full fully fleshed out way um
3: I was going to say, and I'm not a huge fan of composition when you're sharing information either. I think that at times in the story, you have to share information to progress the plot and move it forward. But I like to share that information about the world and, and the components of it, the elements of it, through dialogue and mm-hmm. through another character that's there. That's, that's what those secondary and tertiary characters are for, is to... Unfold that information. You just need to make sure that there's a reason why that character knows that, and they're able to share it in the party, and, and have you know the relationship mm-hmm. impacted by them having that information. But sharing information that's really relevant like that, or that's about the world coming through dialogue, I think is much more powerful than it coming through your exposition.
0: Yeah, it's it's the classic uh, the classic movie line where the guy has one line, and it's it's specifically to tell you about the one thing. It's like, oh exactly. yeah, that's the reason why this exists. And then uh, how
3: convenient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's another tool, too, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Dave Robison has a tool online called Archivos, um, A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S.com. It's a free tool to use. Um, and it allows you to do world building and show relationships and connections between all the different elements of your world. And you can build it on like a, uh, a map. Essentially, it is a visual, and you can invite fans to come and participate in the building of your world too. It's an awesome program. Oh, I'm gonna I have just to started check playing with it.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it right oh, now. Wow. I pull it up That's on so the, cool. the computer. I'm like, ooh, new toy.
3: <laughs> yeah, you, you can even download um, interactive maps and stuff, and put them onto your website, and readers can come and interact with it. Okay, it's awesome. Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah. This- this looks, this looks right up my alley. Um, yeah. Cause I, I've been using a novel factory, uh, recently for one of my books and, and I, I've, I've liked how, uh, in detail you can go with it. You know, you, you have your full character bio even to the point of like what your character is totally afraid of, what their favorite color is, you know, all that information you don't even think that you'll ever use. But, uh, subconsciously I think it is great to develop beforehand, at least for me, because it helps inform mm-hmm. the experience in a, uh, in a subtle way so that i'm not beating you over the head with it that their favorite color is red but if there's something red (laughs) in the scene you know it might uh you know trigger something in me when i'm writing it um and so i think that's really important to to dial into some really severe questions uh that seem kind of mundane or ridiculous at the beginning of your process um in order to to better inform your your practice in general Um, max how about you are there any resources that you use when you're doing this or, or, you know, you kind of described it a little bit before, but can you go into some more detail of maybe a best practice or a method? <laughs>
2: well, I'm going to come across as a lot less impressive than Josh. I will, I'll I'll open with that. I would say the, the top resources I use are probably Google Docs, Google Sheets, and Post-it Notes. Um,
0: you know what? Me and too, I think man. You can... Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and... and... So, I'll have like so I said so I'm writing a short story. I'll have a one sentence description that encapsulates what is the question I'm answering and whose point of view is it? Like, why did an attack happen? It's from that leader's perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Google Docs, I use because so I will write on my desktop at home. My laptop when I'm commuting to work and on my phone, if I can't, I don't have access to either two, I'll just start. I text quickly enough. I'll just start typing up paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's useful for me because it means wherever I am, I have access to, to what I'm currently working on. And it means if I go, oh, you know, this section doesn't sound right to me. Why don't I send it off to one of my, my beta readers are all my close people, my close friends or people I trust. Can you, can you read this page or this section? Does this seem like it fits? Because maybe, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And I'm not objective because I wrote it and it's precious to me until I come back to the editing phase where it's, it's more like mass murder because now I don't care about any of the words. But having just written it, I'm sort of stuck in it. I use uh, the Google sheets because I'm trying to build out a language and thus I need to track, well, how do the words relate to each other? You know, what does this word mean? Do they, do they fit in the same family together? You know, if I have a word for child and mother or child or mother and to family, they might be in the same, they should have some something similar that ties them together Mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, And I also have on my phone, I have quite a few, pictures that I've taken of post-it notes that I've written down, or if I have like a piece of paper on hand, oh, I have, I have an idea. Let me write that down real quick.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
2: and that helps me the most. Those So a lot of my things just sort of pop in because there is not a ton of pre-planning for me in terms of research. I mean, Google is my best friend. Mm-hmm. I do also draw from a pretty wide experience base. I mean, I can, I've done, I started doing blacksmithing. Uh, I've done HEMA. I've done, uh, Aikido, I've done sword play, I've done archery, I've done horse riding. I can make a little bit of armor. So I don't, I pull on a lot of my own real life experiences to, to answer questions for my characters. Like, Oh, how would this act? Well, I've done that before. So I can, I can tell you how this would go. Or I have an idea of how it would go. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think the people around you are useful you know I have a friend who's a doctor I'll send him text messages you know 10 o'clock at night like hey would I bleed to death if I got hurt in this way would this kill me in 30 seconds or would I would I die instantly like how, how would this work and that's useful so I think the the most useful resource is the people around you because they probably know something. Or the knowledge you can find online, so or watch watch a YouTube video. So you're telling me you world build
0: through life experience. So you put yourself in the situation yes. of danger that the character potentially might be in, and then you write it. That's
2: <laughs> that's a yeah. that's an incredible so, way to do
0: it. So, what what's a car crash like? I should probably go try and get into one. <laughs> yeah,
2: and so, so the, a, a really big experience for me was I was I did Hema for a while. The yeah, European I did that for a little arts, bit too. It's awesome. I, I loved it. But so I had done a keto for two, two and a half years. and I was like, this is very enjoyable and it's, it's not low energy, but I could do it for a while and not get exhausted. And then you go to HEMA and you, I'm doing long sword, you, you, know, mm-hmm. you have a, a four pound sword and a heavyweight jacket and a helmet and gloves and pants. I'm like, oh my God, after about 90 seconds, I'm exhausted. Like <laughs> I'm not out of shape, but I don't want to do this anymore. Fights must have been really and short. So, <laughs> And this, that's a lot of the fights in my book. Is like, right? I kill him. I kill him as quick as I can because I'm not interested in this long, drawn out anything because we're both going to be tired. Mm-hmm. I'm applauding you right now, Max. I'm. That, <laughs> I
3: I hate drawn out battles. I, I my latest book that I wrote, like the final battle, might last three paragraphs. Right, And, and it, I know that everyone likes that big epic finish, but I intentionally made it not an epic finish because it just wasn't realistic. It was between two people, it was a trained assassin and a farm girl with, you know, a couple of hooked swords. It's like, this is not going to be <laughs> well, <laughs> like a, a, a brawl, you know, it's going to last chapter after chapter. <laughs> it, it's going to be pretty quickly done. And But it's it's part of that. Like when you're actually looking at battles, they, they don't last that long. You get exhausted swinging a big-ass sword over your head. Yeah. You know? Ten minutes, you're done. You're, you're laying on the ground breathing heavy.
0: <laughs> so, Jackie, um, you know, coming from a, you know, kind of a totally different uh, experience, um, when, you, when you were going into world build with the, the seclusion, you know, how much research did you have to do to inform yourself a, a, of that particular world in the same kind of vein as, as Max and Josh are talking about?
4: You know, the seclusion was, you know, since it's a dystopian, I feel like a lot of dystopian authors and, and science fiction authors in general just kind of follow The question of what if to an extreme conclusion Uh, and so a lot of it is really just learning about Mm. how our world operates right now Um, and then also you know we talked about it a little bit in the last episode doing a lot of research in in how things play out in other you know cultures as they are now in our current world Um, and so I did a lot of that I did a lot of that that kind of research I also again like we talked about before followed a lot of you know technological innovations and 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 thought about how that might inform our world if they became, um, you know, everyday objects that we used. Um, But as far as world building, I think that I do a lot. It sounds a little bit like how how Max writes, where I just kind of write it all out, and then I have to go back and and figure out where I missed some pieces and and fill those in. Um, I keep a lot of notes in Scrivener, And so if I have a question that comes up or I need to figure out, you know, a rule for my world, then I will have a document that just talks about those. Um, I try to, you know, have kind of some setting outlines. I I really enjoyed the suggestion of the interactive map. Um, I would have loved to have that last time. (laughs) That sounds really fun (laughs) Uh, because in this world it takes place, uh, the seclusion takes place in um, you know, the United States, but in like 70 years. So our, our coastlines have changed. Uh, you know, our air quality is a little different. Uh, things are different now at, at uh, different elevations. So, yeah, having an interactive map would have been a lot of fun uh, and would have helped a lot. So I'm going to look into that. Um, yeah, but I don't. I mean, a lot of the advice that I would give has kind of already been said. Yeah. Um, but I do, I think with sci-fi, it is, a you know, A a little different than fantasy in that we're often drawing on um, things that are already happening now. Well, yeah, I was going to say,
0: yours is kind of like Max's (laughs) in that regard. You just flip on the TV, and then uh, you get all the information
4: and the experience that you need to develop the scene right there. Yes, and this book was written in a very cathartic manner, and that this was really (laughs) a reactionary piece to a lot of our world right now. And so most of, you know, the first draft was just a giant information dump that was me just vomiting onto the page and then trying to make it into a coherent story, which fortunately I was able to do after a lot of hard work. But um, other (laughs) stories that I'm working on in my, in my uh, spare time or you know more general science fiction um, mm. stories but I still feel like I use those same aspects of world building um, I was saying in the last episode I like to kind of cruise uh, tech journals and um, websites like Indiegogo and some of the crowdfunding campaigns just to see what people are coming up with um, as far as new and recent inventions and uh, playing with those a little bit seeing where that might lead awesome so, that's fun <laughs>
0: So, uh, I'll go back to you, Max, uh, in the case of world building, you know, it sounds like you've got a a pretty streamlined system and it kind of just comes organically. Um, how do you, how do you keep yourself from falling into what I like to call the world building black hole, uh, for some of us, uh, you know, where you can just sit there and build the world and you're never even considering the story.
2: I think part of what helps is so leading back to one of my initial answers is I like to write stories for the characters and the Mm -hmm. world sort of comes in around them. Uh, I've actually had the opposite problem where I don't tell enough of the world. And mm. that 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 has been an issue of mine. i like, oh, like here's the scene. It, it really builds my two characters, my main characters' interactions with each other. But it doesn't explain to you what external factors brought them here. Um, and so I, I will say I have yet to really have an issue where I just sort of fall off a cliff into, well, let me, let me tell you about the world and yada, 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 yada. And part of that was intentional because – given the chance to explain something like I've had people who at like at work like, Oh yeah, I, I I write a book and they'll ask and I'll just talk and you can see (laughs) their eyes glazing over. Oh no, I'm sorry. Like I, you asked a question and it was, it's all floating around here. Yeah. This this is your problem, not mine. And so my, by design, the main characters of my book are limited in what they know and what they interact with Mm -hmm. the sort of overarching, all controlling mage society limits information to everybody, so they're really only aware of what they've experienced personally. Mm. And since they are initially on the run for their lives, they're not stopping to go. Oh, yeah, that's why the viscount does that. Because no, none of that. They're 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 running instead. And so a lot of us, well, how do we survive two weeks from now? How do See, we how do we get through this swamp without dying?
0: I think I just determined a major life problem that I have, uh, and and it comes directly through my writing right there. I tend to assume that everybody has the same knowledge as me, and that really gets me into quite a few binds as I go through life, where like, you don't know that? What's wrong with you? I know that. You should know that. (laughs) How about you, Josh? How do you keep yourself, you know, or how did you? You know, you said you've been writing in this world for 15 years, so I doubt that you have mm-hmm. the issue anymore. But when when you were starting out, and you know, if you could illuminate illuminate it for for some of us that are that are just starting out now, potentially.
3: Um, it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> the first writing. I mean, I, I info dumped all the time. I remember um, that I had literally my son's so big on saying literally all the time now that I hate saying the word, but I, I had chapters that were just Full of info dump and hardly any dialogue at all. It was just telling people about the world. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that really helped me clean it up uh, was finding a honest critic to, that was just willing to put the knife in my heart and say, you know, this is crap and this is not how you write and you mm-hmm. can't do this. Like cut out all three of these chapters. This is you telling yourself the story. Start here at this chapter with this, where the action starts and build it from there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and, and, it, and it took years. And I know there's a lot of, um, back and forth about this in the writing community. I'm really a fan of sucking at something for a really long time before you get good at it. And writing is one of those things. And it can take you seven to 10 years of writing continuously without publishing anything before you really get good at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it's just, it's going through the process. We were talking about this pre-show about how um, the more you write, the better you get. It's just the way that it it is. And I, I didn't publish anything for the first 10 years, 15 years of me writing. It was just... Uh, me essentially going through writing the entire novel and trashing it writing the entire novel and trashing it and finding it or continuing to work at it until I found a way to balance the world information and the story information so that they interlocked with each other. And now when you write or when I write, it's like a song. It's like it's this pacing of getting the information that's needed for the story in line with the character's growth and the plot while it's moving and interlacing them throughout each chapter. So it's kind of delivered to you in, in small bites and realizing that you don't need to know everything about the world in chapter one. Mm-hmm. So that leads does me that to answer, another Does one. that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That leads <laughs> me to another one. Have you, have you ever lost your story in that process?
3: Um, in, in the early days? Oh, absolutely. I, I would write chapters of just trying to like explain the history of why something was something. And then I would be like, okay, so now I've written, you know, 4,000, 6,000 words. What happened back in chapter eleven? What was my character actually doing? <laughs> and, I, and, and I'd have to go back and read and figure out wh- where I'd like left that person at. Like they were still traveling along and doing things, but there wasn't anything happening to them. It was like I, I completely lost sight of the goal of the story because I got so excited about the world that I was telling or telling people about. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's really a fairly novice, I think, mistake that a lot of us have made. That oh, we are yeah. so excited about the worlds that we build and, and the the history and the stories and the things that are in that world that we just want to tell everybody about that. But they didn't buy your book to learn about your world, per se. They, they bought it for the story that you're supposed to
0: be doing. Right. I mean, I, I made that completely rookie mistake with my first one, too. And in fact, the, the story that I ended up writing wasn't the story that I set out to write. I, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to write in the first book. And as I started to write it, I was like, I don't know the history myself. So I ended up writing the first one as a prehistory to the one that I wanted to write. And I'm currently working on, but mm-hmm. it, it ended up just being the first thing I published was like, well, this is what happened before all the stuff that's supposed to happen in the book that I wanted to write. So it was like a, a ass backwards way of doing it, Max, um, I wanted to get that uh, the same perspective uh, from you. Um, have you ever lost yourself in that process, and, and and how did you dig your way out of it?
2: Uh, like I've said, my it's characters first for me, and uh-huh. so they drive everything. My world blossoms out of that. I have had almost the inverse issue where I've driven my characters into somewhere they shouldn't be mm-hmm. in the world, and I go, "Oh no, I've I've pushed the story in the wrong way, and now I need to retract my world building." But I. I don't think I've actually had the issue where I've gone so far enough. Oh, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening that I've forgotten where my characters have been. Mm-hmm. And again, that was by design because given half a chance, I will. And so <laughs> that was part of why these two characters are running for their lives. Keep that in mind. And and part of I wanted to explore their relationship mm. throughout the book. Not And that's a fair criticism that I've gotten is, hey, I want to know more about what goes on in this world of Essel drill. Why didn't you tell me? I went, Oh, I I put the blinders on myself. Would you like a short story book? Because I have one of those.
0: <laughs> just, this is a good way to learn everybody on how to maximize and monetize everything that you write. If you write a compelling world with compelling characters, people will want all the other stuff too, just like Josh's mega con or codex that he's building right now.
3: <laughs> I'm hoping somebody wants it because it, it's already like 192 pages.
0: Oh, and somebody will want it, dude. There's so <laughs> many. I'm not even
3: done with it. Yeah, so
0: many world fiends out there. In fact, like like I was saying in the previous podcast, a uh, um, uh, current project that I'm working on with a co-author, she straight up told me from the beginning, since I was doing most of the world building, she said, "Yeah, just continue to write the world building book as a separate volume that will sell at the same time." <laughs> You just gotta think about it from that marketing lens guys. Um, everything that you write does have value to someone. You just have to find that person. <laughs> <laughs> so um let's let's go into some other stuff uh what's what's your favorite part? and anybody can speak up now I kind of want to go a little freeform with it but uh, what's your favorite part of 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 building a world and uh, and and exploring it?
3: If you don't mind, I can hop into this one first. Um, Really, it comes back to what Max was talking about. And at the beginning, uh, my favorite part is by far the character building. Mm -hmm. I could sit down at a desk and build characters for a month and never grow tired of it, Um, which I get, which is why I have like 600 NPCs that are already built, (laughs) because I just love building characters. I once like the whole world is fleshed out and I know the religion and the politics and the races and the magic system and all these things, I love toying with people's family trees and their histories and who they are and their positive character traits and their negative character traits, and just fully developing these people that I can then place into a story and give them motivations and let them just take off on their own, Uh, which Mm -hmm. is something that I really value in any story that I read is that every character, no matter how small or big still has their own motivation and their own personality and their own history. And, and you see that even in short glimpses of them in the book, and when you pass by them, they're just not a cookie-cutter person there. They're just not a innkeeper that's you know dropping the information that you need. They're a person with their own life and their own family and their own purpose outside of the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why I love it. I love building those characters. I love making unique people and filling my world. With.
0: Now, Max, you – you were working on a, a graphic novel as well, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, did that change anything for you when it comes to world building?
2: So I have a, I have a comic I'm actually working on um, that I just I just I've been working with a guy called Diego uh, Novenim Zuniga. He does the art, the cover art for my fantasy books as well. Also, found out he's super into science fiction. So we've been working on um, a full length sci fi comic, uh, and that was a bit different for me because that was going, all right, like I have a story, but I want this to be f- about five issues long. And thus each of the comics has to fit in. And so for, for this comic book, I sat down and write. I actually need to plan out five, essentially short stories that, that all feed each other and tell an overall story as opposed to fantasy book of, yeah, I wrote book one. Oh no. Like what? Here's some short stories. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was, that was very different for me of, well why are we doing this why are you here where are you going and so that was that was odd's so like for for my process for writing out uh, the comic book's called flatline um for the process of writing out flatline i actually have a couple pages on a google doc of like this is the world this is what happened you know it was devastated during a global war over terraformers so the water is poison. The, the sun is more radioactive. It's mostly ash mm-hmm. and waste. And so society falls apart. And that's why you have mercenaries, because no one can afford an army anymore. And so there's a lot of explanation for why things happen to set up relations as opposed to how it would traditionally write something them be right. I have a main character called Alex. She's a pilot. She's a mercenary. We'll figure out why on the way. And so that was that was very different for me. And the whole process actually in some way been a struggle of trying to tame my urge just to improvise the entire way because when you have a comic book, you know, you you can't really go back. I can't go back to Diego and go, hey, guess what? Redo <laughs> pages 10, 10 through 15. Do them again. I know it took you a month. Do them again. I have a new idea.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that changes things <laughs> because you have visual elements and components that have to be set in stone before you send it off to an illustrator.
2: Exactly. And so like that 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 was um so I had produced a miniature comic with him called The Hunt, which was is literally a graphic adaptation of one of my short stories. And that was easy. I was like, here's the short story. He's like, I'll take care of it. You know, he came <laughs> up with the script and he, and, he, 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 and that was done and he wrote it out. But then for the flatline, he went, all right, give me a script. And I want, I want, you know, the number of panels per page with a description of what happens in each panel and all the dialogue. I'm like, I don't know the dialogue, Diego. I haven't <laughs> seen the panel. I can't tell you. <laughs> and so it took me a long time to build the script. I was like, well, what would you say here? Like, Mm. oh man this is and then even, i will admit though even now like i got the finished pages when i was like all right we're gonna change the dialogue now it still fits it's the same tone but it's not the same words because i think the story is evolving a bit even no. now and so that was very, that was really difficult for me
0: all right let's go to what's your least favorite part of world building anything that just just totally sucks and you hate doing i hate trying
3: to align my mm-hmm. stuff Uh, I'm trying to find a good way of wording this. It's it's aligning things up historically so that they make sense. Mm. I really like things to be accurate as possible, and it takes me down a wormhole that keeps me from jumping into the writing process. Mm. Um, And and I've talked about this before in in other interviews and podcasts and things like that. Uh, A good example is I spent six hours researching how they made tea in ancient China to make sure that I could do it in the time frame that was – uh, like anteludian in my story <laughs> and make sure that I could actually make tea and what components or ingredients went into the tea and what it would taste like and all these different pieces. And it only ended up being like one or two lines in the entire book, but it took me six hours to find the information that I needed and feeling like it was reliable enough to actually use it. But then the same thing with like cave structures and and knowing that they were able to be created in a certain way and, uh, you know, atmospheric things and you know, uh, topographic things. And those, those pieces that send me down like this path of like trying to figure out, is this actually possible? Like I'm writing copper age, bronze age, iron age, what technology actually matches with that timeframe that I can put in my story so that it's Makes sense. And then it's 4 a.m.
0: Um, and you're on YouTube watching how-to videos. It's a yeah, it's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I I once had it. And if I get it wrong, I guarantee you that like my brother who I co-write with will just rip into me. Be like, what the hell are you thinking? Like that's not that's not even possible because he knows a lot of this stuff off the top of his head. The information he has sometimes is ridiculous, but it drives me absolutely bonkers because um, I, I have to get it right. And if I don't get it right, I'll just I'll beat myself up. I'll be like Jim Carrey in that courtroom, just kicking my own ass. I, I have to get it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I, I will offer the Panzer perspective on that. So yeah. due, to my, due to my general lack of planning, uh, the worst part of world building for me is when I'll have something that comes up like, oh, I already published book one and book two. And both of those say this thing can't happen. <laughs> I want this thing to happen, so now either I either have to change what I'm writing, magic, or figure, right, magic did it. But the thing is, like, I, I have, I have a a kind of ish rule set for my magic. Like, oh, this, this, this would kill you if you did this, or this isn't possible because I had been on like a Harry Dresden kick, and I was like, oh yeah, I really like the idea that you have to mean magic. Like, you couldn't just kill somebody; you really got to want to kill them to do it, or like uh, like Harry Potter with the the, mm. the Unforgivables. Like, you couldn't just drop somebody. But now I want this guy who's a pacifist to drop somebody, but he, he really wouldn't. So how do I get around that? And so that can be frustrating for me with 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 pansing is, oh, no, like the the inertia that I've built up is now catching up to me all of a sudden. And I don't want to dis- to devalue everything else I've previously written. And I can even think of, you know, like there the are mistakes where I'll write something at the beginning of a book and 30 chapters and I go, oh, wait. In chapter one, I said I can't do that or I set up something different. And so that that's been a thing that that I that I would recommend. I think the best idea is to to mix between pantsing and plotting <laughs> is like, OK, I can't, I have a skeleton. I flesh it out as opposed to I jump. Let's write the story.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you could always approach it the way that, say, like Supernatural approaches it. You know, anything can happen. We. And look <laughs> at that. They're on season wait. 15. I mean, they're doing pretty good.
3: Yeah. yeah I know Max was talking earlier about, um, you know, tabletop gaming dungeons and dragons and role playing of those types of things and i think that's where a lot of my obsession with those things come out Uh, because even though like dungeons and dragons is so nerdy everything makes sense in that you still have carry rates and travel distances and rations you have to eat and all these specifics that go into it now given not everyone plays by those strict of rules when they're game playing uh, but i i know for myself that's where it comes from and i i'm the first person that will Stop reading a book or stop watching a movie if something
2: doesn't make sense, and that sounds really harsh. But <laughs> no, I I actually agree with that. Like if something pops out to me as like oh like that just doesn't work or it doesn't make sense or it blows my suspension to disbelief out of the water, I'll fall out of the story and I will yeah. either go look it up and be like that's not how this would work. What's your explanation? Or it can actually tarnish a book for me. And like yeah, it comes across as harsh. Like well. That's not how you would sharpen a steel sword. It would break, or you know, you mm-hmm. would ruin the edge. But that sort of thing, like so, I, I actually find so I enjoy reading very, very well, like like a book that the Josh writes, where every the minutiae mm-hmm. is there, because that holds my interest. I want to, you know, I, I want to know like how well do you know your stuff? That well, fascinates me, and I think that's the way that's delivered. And
3: the, the impression I get, Max, is even with yours, is that. You, you leave it open to interpretation until something more definitive is left – is put in there later, which is, is almost like a mystery. Like, okay, I want to know why this happened the way that it did.
2: Right. I, and I, so maybe I,
3: it's <laughs> not answered right then, but it, it draws you more into be Like, I want to know why this worked the way that it did.
2: And so do I. That's but I the tell
3: fun you, part. <laughs> but I tell, it's not a bad place <laughs> to be. I do tell you, though, every hmm. time I see someone shove a freaking sword down in the dirt after they kill somebody or put it back in their <laughs> scabbard, after they've stabbed someone without cleaning it off, I'm done. Like I will just shut off the movie. I'm like, I can't believe they didn't clean their <laughs> sword.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, that begs the question then, uh, how much of, of your world building is, is research and how much of it is, is a creative uh, manifestation? Uh, you know, can you guys dive into that a little bit? How much of your work is, is informed by that really hardcore research of, of uh, how much, or how does, how was tea made in in China and how much of it is just free form? This is how I want things to be.
3: (laughs) That's a hard question.
0: I know. That's why I came (laughs) up with it. Now do it.
3: Well, I I think that a lot of the research that goes into it and and those pieces of world building that we utilize, or at least for myself, I don't want to speak for everyone, is to bring the world to life. It's to allow the reader to connect with it um, in, in a way that, I don't know that you can do it otherwise. Like it allows them to see pieces of their own life or their own world in it. So so it gives them a little bit more, it grounds them more Mm. within the world that you're creating. And so I, I I, it's hard for me to say what is of my world that I write is creative and what part of it is fastened in reality because Mm. Now we're getting into the metaphysical of like who am I and what am I? Why do I know what I know? No, it's actually pretty interesting. (laughs) Because so much of what I know is driven on history and mythology and and research and things I looked through for years. And a lot of that stuff, like I say, my world is built built, based on Slavic mythology, and it is, but I Mm. use a lot of my own creativity to tie elements together that aren't really well explained Mm. in mythology or in history. So it's hard to find that balance of, What part is history and what part is my creativity and how I'm blending the two of those? We could easily just say 50-50, but I don't know how much of that's true.
4: That's interesting. I think there's also a balance there, too, of figuring it out. out. At least I've had this challenge of, you know, I may know this thing and I may want the reader to know this thing, Mm. but then they're also seeing it through the eyes of a character who may not have access to this information. Mm -hmm. And so that is always an interesting balance as well. Absolutely.
2: I'll say uh, on my end, I don't don't think I could give you a ratio of 50-50, but for me, Mm -hmm. I think I enjoy looking up the historical aspects of things or drawing from Mm. From, from other sources and then subverting them in some way. So the two things that mm. pop out to my mind are elves in my stories are not I I really liked like Grimm's fairy tales and the older fae where you, you know these child stealing malevolent spirits and ghost stories and things like that. I, I love those stories where they're dark like you know old children's tales are not happy <laughs> mm-hmm. they're warnings and so mm. I have elves in my book are not Tolkien's elves where they're long lived and the fair folk they're Flesh-eating monsters who are functionally indestructible, and he right. sold you, me. I'm buying a book, and, and if you become, <laughs> and, and so part of the shtick is like, oh, you know, I'm so afraid of you. The elf comes back to life as long as one person is afraid of it. They, they're always around, and everyone knows that. But because you know that. Now it's there, or subverting things like I like. Like I said, I practiced HEMA. I've done some some uh, Aikido and other martial arts. One of my main character's weapons is a halberd, which is heavy and slow. It is not a quick weapon. You watch anyone trying to swing one around. You know, they weigh twenty pounds. They're you know six, seven, eight feet long. Part of subverting that is a, a trick for that character is she can change the weight of the halberd, and so you suddenly you bring in, oh, I can fence with this. Which you wouldn't normally be able to because magic and that adds a different element to combat. And I like I like taking mm. an expectation and twisting it in some way so all of a sudden it's new or, or different in some way.
0: That's that. Yeah. I, I, I can kind of echo that same thing. Most of, you know, most of what I've written is either steeped in mythology and I'm trying to find a way to illustrate it in a new lens or from a new perspective. And so whatever it is that the, that exists as a trope that everybody knows I tend to try and twist it and and see if I can come up with uh, something of my own Genesis to make it uh, look or feel new. And and sometimes that will, um, I guess in some cases, um, potentially bring you to a point oh, of someone has a cat yeah, that's mine that's mine she's very loud <laughs> that's the writing cat uh, it's kind of like the writing goat that we had in one of our previous episodes um but yeah uh you know there's a fine line there between uh, bringing somebody to a point where they're going oh i'm not reading the story anymore because this doesn't fit um so it's an interesting uh perspective um thanks for that guys that was cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's telling me that I should be done here pretty soon, I'm guessing. Uh let's just go ahead and jump right in. Uh Max, where can everybody uh find your work online and uh what's it called?
2: So you can find Whisper of the End, which is the first book of the Wakewalker series on Amazon and coming soon you'll be able to fi- find find uh, Flatline on Kickstarter.
0: All right, Josh, uh where can where can everybody find your books uh, or you and your presence online?
2: Sure. It's pretty easy. Just go
3: to robertsonwrites.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. And you can find all my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook there, um, as well as stuff about the podcasts I do, Writer Imperfect, uh, links to all my books, my audiobooks. Uh, I'm up to five, five audiobooks now uh, that are out, maybe six audiobooks that are out now. Uh, with a seventh on the way this fall.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And Jackie, once more, just in case somebody didn't
4: listen to the last podcast. All right. I'm Jackie Castle. Um, You can find me at JackieCastlerights.com. My first name is J-A-C-Q-U-I, so uh, watch out for that one. Um, I'm also on Twitter very frequently, so you can find me there at jcastlerights.com. Um, and I'm around. My books are on Amazon uh, and most indie bookstores, at Barnes & Noble, all the major players. And, yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been fun, guys. Um...
0: For all you uh, listeners out there, if you're a writer, come join us over at uh, Writing Block. We're a community that is uh, author-centric, and we're looking to uh, bring more people on board every single day. We've got lots of things uh, going on, workshops, anthologies, uh, Slack chat, where you can come in and join other authors and writers and and learn how to hone your craft. And uh, That's what we're here for. Um, This has been fun, guys. Thanks a bunch. Thanks so much, Christopher. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this
1: episode of the Writing Block podcast. Please view the podcast description for links discussed in the show. Our series will continue with our next episode covering writing dialogue and featuring authors Kendra Namednell and Jason Chestnut. Join us at our website, writingblock.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, find a copy of our short story anthology, Escape, and read detailed articles about the indie author experience. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Writing Block. No K. Thank you for listening, and happy writing.